And so I want to help us try to get the mindset this morning that Paul had. I want you to think about, you know, fear is something we all deal, deal with. Talking about maybe not, uh, uh, you know, let me say this. Let me back up just a second. You've got two ways of thinking in this life. You can have a world's view of thinking and you can have a scriptural view of thinking. You can have a scriptural outlook on life or a worldly outlook on life. And if a biblically minded person ever sits down and tries to reason with a worldly minded person, good luck getting on the same page. It's very difficult for a biblically minded person and a worldly minded person to get on the same page. One good example of that is when, when we talk about death, as I was um, as I was studying this out over this past week or two, I came across an article and I, and I, put, I, had it on, I left it on my phone so I could read some of this to you. So forgive me for using this for just a second. But it was an article about um, tactics to help you handle uh, the fear of death. Okay, and these, some of these... Uh, from a biblical standpoint, are pretty comical. But again, this is not this guy that wrote this article is not coming from a biblically uh, based view. He's coming from a world based view, and he wrote an article. He's a psychologist or psychiatrist on how to better handle the fear of death. And here are some tips that he gives you. I want you to imagine before I read these, you're laid in the hospital, sick, deathly ill. You're looking for some comfort. And maybe I come in, Brother Tim, Brother Neil, family member, somebody comes in and stands over your bed and tries to bring you some comfort during this difficult time. And these are the tactics they use. These are some of the things they tell you. A tactic to better ease the fear of death in your mind is just to accept the reality of death. You need to use your fear of death as a motivation to lengthen your life by practicing healthy habits. You need to open yourself up to gratitude. You need to create a legacy. You need to keep your purpose in the front of your mind. You need to express your creativity. You need to let the knowledge of death help you appreciate the sweetness of life. And you need to find humor in death. Now, brothers, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if I'm laying on my deathbed and that's what you're going to bring me, don't bother. Amen. Don't bother. Because I hope in those moments I don't have a world view. I want a biblical view. This man writes in his conclusion of the article, get this. This is what he says in the conclusion of his article. He says, in the end, death wins. I say hogwash to that. Because I read the Bible and it tells me that death is swallowed up in victory. That's what it tells me. It tells me in Hebrews, the second chapter, it tells me that the Lord came to defeat the one that had the power of death. That is the devil to release them who were all their lifetime subject to bondage because of the fear of death. You see, what the Bible tells us is death does not win in the end. Because the Lord overcame and defeated death. Now, you take a biblically minded view of death and go to a worldly minded view of death and y'all try to reconcile those things. It's not going to happen. This guy's going to give you a hokey list of nine or ten things that you need to do to overcome your fear of death when the scripture says it should not even exist. The fear of death should never even exist in the mind of God. But you know what? It, it exists in my mind at times. And I bet it exists in your minds at times, the fear of death. Because 
we have not quite tapped in to the level of experience and spiritualness that the Lord wanted us to. I would love to say that every day, all day, I walk through life with zero fear of death. But it happens. It sneaks into all of us, especially maybe you get some bad news and the fear of death comes in on you. But the Lord never says that a child of God should fear death, ever. It is never appropriate for a child of God to fear death because when we do that, we rob God of one of his victories. Because he says, I've already defeated it. There's no need to fear it. You know, I think one of the greatest examples of that is when the Bible's talking about when, uh, when the Lord was born and uh, he was, uh, you know, a couple years old and there was a mass murder of all these boys two years old and under. You know what the Bible tells all those mothers? It says, don't weep. Don't weep. Do you want to go tell a mother who has lost her child not to weep? I don't know that I want to do that. But the Lord says, listen, don't weep for your children because they're returning to their borders. Now, that's a level of spiritual mindedness that I want. But I'm afraid that I don't have. But I want to strive to get there. So a biblical view and a worldview are never going to line up, right? All right, so we talked about death for just a minute. We're not supposed to have a fear of death. What about suffering? That's what the title of the sermon was, the blessing of suffering. What about suffering? How should a child of God deal with suffering? You know, because we're not promised in a timely sense. We are never promised on this side of heaven a 100% guarantee to be delivered from our suffering. Now, I understand that we will end death, but I'm talking about before death we have a promise and a guarantee that we that the lord has been a victor over death and we are not to fear it but what about suffering where's the promise that children of god will never suffer it's not in there as a matter of fact the promise is just the opposite that we will suffer and we will face persecution now how do we get through that why is it a blessing to suffer what is going on in the mind of paul for him to say in so many words i have a lot of delight in my suffering i take pleasure in my infirmities what is going on in his mind to make him say that he has no promise of being delivered from it as a matter of fact, he's asked three times to be delivered from it, and he doesn't receive it. So what is going through his mind that can make him say that? One thing that I want to lay out before we go into what Paul's thinking here is I want you to remember this. I know that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. But in my little simple mind, we know that the Bible is clear that affliction gets the Lord's attention. I know that he can see all things at all times, but in my mind, there is something about a child of God crying out in affliction that gets the Lord's attention. You think about Jesus when he walked through uh, Jerusalem and and, and, uh, Galilee and all these places that he walked through and all the things that are written about him. Where do you find Him walking through there, going up to a man and saying, my goodness, you have really prospered. I'm going to double your prosperity. Or he goes up to somebody and says, you are so beautiful. I'm going to add to your beauty. 
The Lord looked for the sick and afflicted. He didn't look at doubling prosperity for people. He is drawn to affliction. And that's why when you go through the Bible, you see him passing by people who are in good health and they have not they don't have a whole lot of issues in life. He passes by them to go to the people who are at their wits end, who are maimed, who are sick, who are diseased, who are outcast, who are at death's door. He passed through the crowd of people like you and I to get to them. Why? Because they're magnets to him. He's drawn to the afflicted, and that's who he visited. And I'll say this, and this is the nutshell, this is the take home for you guys. It is in times of great affliction that we see the Lord in ways that we otherwise never would. Amen. I hope you understand that. Yes. Do, you know, do you know one thing that I do not possess right now is what... A lot of preachers of old have called dying grace. I don't have that right now because I don't need that right now. I might need it this afternoon. I hope I don't, but I might. To where I'm laying, taking my final breaths, or maybe I've got just a few days to live. And the Lord gives those people something special that he doesn't give the healthy. He gives them a measure of grace to die with. That's one reason we don't need to fear it. Not only has he defeated death, but he has given us something to help us cope with death that we don't experience until we are in that moment. That's called dying grace. Maybe you could call this other type of grace a surviving grace. That I believe in the moments of affliction. That the Lord gives us something, reveals himself, and we experience him in ways we never have. And it's in those moments that the Lord is the clearest and the most powerful and the most beloved to us when we are afflicted. Now, I want you to think about this. If I had the ability, which I don't, but if I did, if I could call... The woman with an issue of blood. If I could call her up front. And stand her before you. And ask her. In your lifetime. When was God the most real to you? When was he the most powerful to you? Was it when you were younger? And maybe love was new to you? And you were so madly in love that that you just couldn't think straight? Or was it maybe if you had children and you held them for the first time? Or when things were going well and there was money in the bank and everything seemed to be in order? Was it then? She would absolutely tell you no. And if I were to say, well, when was it? Tell us. She would say, it was when I was on my face in the dirt humiliated in front of all men having nothing and no hope no money no friends and being condemned unclean because of my issue in the eyes of men I was so low but that's when I saw God the clearest what about the mamas and daddies Whose children were possessed. 
Oh, it's heartbreaking to read about those times in the Bible. Having children of my own and just wondering what those parents thought about as their children would flop and roll around and throw themselves into the fire and throw themselves into the water. And you were to ask them, when was it that you experienced God the most? Was it after he healed them? Years later, sitting around in a rocking chair, talking about the good old days? I think they would tell you no. I think the time they would say that, they were the, that God was the realest and the most powerful to them was in the moments when they had no control over their situation and they were totally dependent on the Lord for deliverance. You see, those people saw God in a way that we don't necessarily see day to day, right? I could run you a long list of of things. I could run you a long list of lame people, diseased people, blind people, mute people, people that had lost, lost loved ones. And if I paraded them up in front of you and asked them, when was God the most powerful and clear to you? Every single one of them would say, In the worst moments of my life. That's when he became real. I can tell you. From a a very small personal experience. I'm thankful to say that I've not been afflicted a whole lot in my life. Maybe I will be one day. But several years ago. We were getting ready to go to the beach and I was sitting on the bed with the kids and we were all laughing. And I mean, in an instant, in an instant, the hearing in one of my ears pretty much left. It just left. And it sounded like a train whistle in my ear. And it lasted for a couple months. And I'm not going to lie to you, brothers, I struggled. Everything was perfectly fine and bam! Why can't I hear out of my ear and I can't even hear what y'all are saying because of this just train whistle going off in my ear? And I'm not going to lie to you, it scared me to stinking death. I mean, it was awful for me. And there's people dealing with a lot worse, but that's what I was dealing with. But you know what? In that two months that I dealt with that and praise God, he delivered me. I can't tell you the number of times. that I called my children together and asked them to pray for me, lay a hands on me and pray for me. The number of notes that I wrote myself and I stuck all over my, my office at work. Folks, that was when God was the realest to me. When I was suffering with something, even though very small, He was real to me. In ways that when I'm healthy, I don't really experience. That's a surviving grace. Why in the world would Paul say something so bizarre as I take pleasure in infirmities? It's because he had been there. And he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And he says, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Paul suffered so many beatings. So he, he talks about shipwreck, betrayal, imprisonment, all these things that he experienced. And he was willing to take on those reproaches and take on those infirmities 
for the sake of the elect because he knew in those dark, dark moments there is somebody there waiting on me that I'll never see if I never get there. And he says, I take pleasure in infirmities because I know my God is going to be there at the end of it. And he's going to be there as I go through it. That's why Paul said that from a physical standpoint. Yes, he was crying out to the Lord three times. Lord, please take this physical infirmity away from me. But the Lord didn't take it away from him. But I'm convinced that he visited Paul in a way that we don't necessarily understand when we're healthy. So much so that Paul said, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. He says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's a man that understood it. That's a that's a view that the world will never understand. The world will never understand somebody saying, I take pleasure in my infirmities. You know, James said this. James said, I count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptations. What? Man, you got Paul saying over here he takes pleasure in his infirmities. You got James saying over here that he counts it joy when he falls into diverse temptations. Listen, moments of suffering and affliction are moments where there is great temptation. And James said, I count it all joy. Folks, they're on a level I'm just not on yet, but I wish I was. But why could these brothers say that? Is because the Lord was in the fire with those Hebrew boys. The Lord was in the den of lions with Daniel. The Lord is there to comfort his people during moments of fear and affliction. And I think Paul and James and some of those guys, but I think all of God's people should crave it. They should crave it. I'm not saying go out and look for affliction. But when affliction finds you, before you get in despair, you think about what Paul said. And in somewhere along this road, when I'm dealing with this affliction, chances are I'm going to see God like I've never seen him before. And that ought to be like a drug to the child of God to crave it, to want to seek after it. Right. And remember this, that the Lord gives us this encouragement from our physical stand uh, from a physical standpoint. He says that our light affliction is but for a moment. And you think about Job who was afflicted in in ways I can't even imagine. You want to talk about toughness, spiritual toughness. A spiritually tough man can say, I take pleasure in my infirmities. A spiritually tough man can say, I count it all joy to fall into diverse when I fall into diverse temptations. A spiritually tough man can say as he is scraping the wounds of his body and he says, uh, even though through my skin worms destroy this body, I know in my flesh I I shall see God. That's the kind of spiritual toughness I want. Because chances are if I live long enough, I'm going to face some roads of affliction and I will not be able to bear them unless I know that somewhere along that road, my Lord's waiting for me. I hope that's been profitable to you.